Hey, everybody. Tom and Keith, thanks for uh, tuning into the podcast. Spread the word if you haven't uh, already done so, and uh, we appreciate it. And I would also appreciate the uh, fine folks at the Dunlap Champions Club, KJ. They uh, have very much stepped up. That allows us to present this, uh, shall we say, commercial-free is that the proper way of saying it? I think it is. It Without is. commercial interruption. There you go. Uh, hopefully you test drove the uh, the premium club seats that are the, the Champions Club during the spring game. Maybe you went to Doke after dark. Maybe you've been to some of the uh, the pillar events. They just had Dalvin Cook honored. They're going to have one for Coach Bowden coming up. Uh, I do need to point out they've got half-season tickets on sale for this coming year. So uh, for that, you get Miami or Louisville and then any two of the remaining four home games. Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. And again, if you need a private tour, if you just want to go up there and look around call Seminole boosters uh, i'm sure jerry and his crew will make sure that they get somebody out there to show you around you will be impressed if you've never set foot in that structure should point out the half season uh, tickets uh, are 750 that's what makes it a good deal there could if you want to test drive it you can visit seminoles.com backslash tickets or call 583-9066 line one to buy your tickets and schedule that private tour now without further ado Drum roll, please. This week's Front Row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is the Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. It is that time of week once again. Tom and Keith back with you. KJ, greetings to you, sir. And to you as well. Hold on, had to adjust the volume there because my ears are getting older. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Excellent. Are we entering the slow period? It seems like things are still staying a little busy. What's going on? Yes, but we are. I can feel us sort of decelerating into the slow period that is also the hot period, which is known as summer in Tallahassee. Which we haven't had a lot of. No. In fact, it was pretty cool. In May. That hasn't happened uh, all that often. The Seminole Bats heated up last night against JU for whatever that's worth. Well, and they, they, they got warmed up over the weekend against uh, uh, what, four team. Was Pacific. Pacific four game, uh, four team, four game um, weekend series. Uh, but yeah, twenty-one runs. That's uh, that's more than a couple. It is. We'll see. They've got six games to go. We're going to talk some baseball on this show. We'll be joined uh, by Tyler Holton coming up in a little bit. Tyler Holton is interesting because not only has he been the ace of the staff, but now, in part because of injuries to some others like Red Applin, who went down this week, they're starting to use him more in the lineup because he can hit. And he was recruited as a two-way guy, and it'll be interesting to see, we'll have this discussion with him, what the future looks like, the future meaning not just the next month, but even beyond that, because Tyler Holton is a guy who's draft eligible this year, even though he's just a sophomore. And and the question then becomes two-way, does he actually play? Does he DH? How do you fit all of that in? becomes an interesting chess match. So that conversation is coming up. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us. It is a busy time on the sports calendar. You were uh, asking if we're slowing down, and then when you look at it, volleyball just wrapped up at the national championships. Men's and women's golf is into the postseason. Men's and women's tennis is into the postseason. The ACC track and field championships are this week. Softball is in the ACC championships with the postseason right around the corner. So from a collegiate spring sports perspective, it is not slowing down. Plus, we can always talk about... Who, who did what in the spring game that was 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks ago, depending on what school you go to? We could do that as well and uh, continue to, to digest the draft and the free agent signings and all that. No, but actually, the, there's a policy-related thing that's grabbed some headlines this week that we should talk about. And that is the idea, which we've talked about very 
briefly on this show of changing the redshirt rule. So if you're not aware, and I don't have text in front of me, and this still has to clear several hurdles and acronym organizations and panels or whatever before it would become uh, officially law. So it ain't going to happen in 2017. No, they, it could happen for 2018. But the idea has been discussed related to football that instead of having a rule where you can only play X percent of your team's games and they have to be at the front end, you can't play in November, you can play two games in September, you basically could play four games over the course of the year and and there's a side note to it, I guess. Well, no, this one would be the same, and that is what it would allow you to do is take your freshman who you've been redshirting all year and play him in a bowl game. Well, let's even back up. The, the impetus for this is driven by two things. Number one, if the starter or starters ahead of the redshirt player get injured later in the year. So if you had a third-team quarterback that you were redshirting, and you've sat him out all year, and in game eight, the first-team guy goes down, and in game 10, the second-team guy goes down. So it's not even championship game, not even bowl game. You're still one or two games left in the regular season. Do you, quote-unquote, burn the red shirt on the freshman because you need a quarterback? Exhibit A to this, by the way, is Ole Miss last year lost Chad Chad Kelly Kelly, late in the game, had to burn a red shirt and play their – quarterback who was in the wings now what has also come into play is the movement which i absolutely hate we've had that discussion on some of your frontline players when you're not playing for a national championship or you're not playing in a significant bowl game like fournette did last year for lsu and the kid from stanford where you announce i'm sitting out the bowl game i'm not playing well if you happen to have had that freshman or that sophomore phenom that you were redshirting, if you had the rule that said you can only play in four games no matter where they are, you could bring that kid in, let him play the bowl game, the championship game, whatever, and not burn the redshirt. So it's got a couple of interesting parts to it, and it goes back. I had a conversation with Jimbo. I don't know where he stands today. But obviously, he thinks that the redshirt rule needs to be changed because you reward a kid for getting hurt because they can play in that fourth or fifth game, get hurt, and then you can apply for a medical hardship, okay? So you're rewarding a guy for getting hurt. Why would you not have the same thing available to him if he doesn't get hurt in terms of games being played? And it also goes to another thing, which I'll shut up and let you talk. Maybe we should go to just five years of eligibility. Well, that's where Jimbo has been on it. Exactly. He said five years to play five, and then don't worry about filling out the paperwork. The number of games played does still matter for a medical hardship, because if you play five, six, seven games and go down, you don't automatically get a medical hardship. You'd have to file a waiver, and generally you wouldn't get that if it was that deep into the season. Not necessarily. I mean, there's a mechanism for doing that, because it's also based on 30% of the plays. There, there's a there, we'd have to look at it. I think anyway. it's thirty percent of the games. But the point is, you can't play eight games and get hurt on November tenth, and then get a red shirt, a medical hardship for that year. I think you can if you did not play in a less percentage of plays. It's a games and plays, but whatever the rule is, also lends itself to how do we manipulate and whatever. Jimbo's point, parroting him, I think we're accurate in saying the heck with all the paperwork. Five years to play five. And if you're draft eligible after three, you declare and do what you want to. Oh, by the way, that might be another conversation for later on. Can well, they go through the draft and come back like basketball? Well, that's can? a separate thing. Let's just stick to the red Understood. shirt thing. Understood. And uh, we'll agree to disagree on that. It, it really matters not. One thing we can agree on is that right now, 
what you're doing is every school around the country is basically fabricating injuries to get the medical hardship. So a guy plays the first two games of the year, and all of a sudden, oh, he's got an ankle, and he didn't play again the rest of the year because that little tweaked ankle, really he couldn't go. And that's not just FSU, that's everybody. everybody. So that's why you're getting the medical hardship and saving the guy's year. I don't see what the downside is, and I've thought about this, of tweaking the rules so that you could play four games at any point. So it would, A, from a team standpoint, it would give you some insurance if you did lose your first and second string quarterback and you ha- or whatever position, and you've had a guy now that wasn't so ready to play in September, but now in November, two months into the season, things have slowed down, he understands it, and he could help the team. It would keep the freshmen who are not participating and think they might be redshirting engaged, engaged and involved. It would add interest to the bowl games, which frankly need some interest because there's not a lot of folks in attendance, although viewership is fine. That's why there's as many bowl games as there are. So I'm not really sure what the downside is or what the argument against doing this would be other than we just haven't done it before. Maybe I'm missing something. Well, and I think one other argument for is also another thing that Jimbo has talked about with the 85 scholarship limitation. You know, if you get four or five kids that are out, not not with career-ending injuries, but season-ending injuries, those occur, you know, more frequently as you get further along, law of law averages. You'd be able to manipulate your roster in terms of bodies without cost and eligibility as well. Because right now, if you think you're going to redshirt eight of your freshmen, that's eight. you're now at 77 scholarship players. Whereas if you could manipulate it within the rules to use those guys later on in the season, you still have your full complement of roster. In, in, to compare it to what they do at the pro level, uh, in, in some respects it would be like having a practice squad available. So it's late in, in the way, season in and you need a guy. Well, at the pro level, you can go sign a guy. Uh, at the college level, you don't have that option. You're 85 or you're 85, or as you pointed out, you're 77 at that point, or unless you pull a red shirt off, which is really not the best case scenario for a kid who sat for 11 games and now you're going to play him in, in game 12. Exactly. I mean, that, that, I, mean I, I think this thing will pass. I think technically it gets voted on in uh, the January big meeting. It's got to go through a couple of hurdles between right. now and then, but then the January big meeting of the NCAA is when it will get voted on, and I, and I believe it'll some form of it will pass. All right, we'll get back to some football and uh, policy debate, which is riveting, I know, a little bit later on in the program. I do need to point out that tomorrow is National Eat What You Want Day, and here Keith and I thought it was every day. 365. It has been for mine. But apparently <laughs> it's tomorrow, and uh, so we're going to go ahead and celebrate that at Centrale uh, with some brick oven pizza all day. On May 11th, $5 off every pizza that they serve there as you can go eat what you want. So how's that for a good deal? Centrale, of course, uh, tied in with Madison Social and Township. If you haven't been down there, check it out. By the way, uh, that second garage is going up. And, I mean, that, that's become a whole self-contained area with, with Madison Social anchoring it. it. That's a neat little place to visit these days. Indeed it is. All right, we'll go close to that neck of the woods. Uh, I mean, that's spitting distance from, uh, well, actually, it's it's about as far as Drew Mendoza can hit a home run based on last night. But it's we'll a, talk it's FSU. A it's a mullet toss. Yes, from, from Mike Martin Field. We'll, we'll get to FSU baseball when we roll on on the front row.
The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, time to bring Florida State baseball into focus. Big win for the Knowles last night, 21-2-2. Tom Block and Keith Jones back with you. And uh, as we go to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together, we're pleased to be joined by a local product and a star in this FSU baseball team, the ace of the staff, Tyler Holton. Tyler, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Before we talk about the Knowles this year, We've got to talk about the Knowles from when you first remember them because you're from here in Tallahassee. And I think I've some of the names I believe I, I've seen you mention that you remember seeing play. Uh, it strikes me that you couldn't have been older than three or four if it's true. So what's your first <laughs> recollection of, of uh, watching baseball at Mike Martin Field and watching the Knowles? Oh, man, I don't know. It goes way back, that's for sure. But um, players-wise, I mean, I remember Mike Futrell, um John Ford Griffin, uh, like Tony McQuaid, like those guys. And uh, but you got those memories, and you got the memories where I'm in the stands and I'm chasing foul balls down the left field line and hiding under the bleachers and whatnot, and getting snow cones out in the seventh inning. So I mean, it goes way back. When was the first time you ran the bases? Do you remember? Oh, I don't know. Probably the first time I realized that you could. <laughs> <laughs> the first Sunday game you went to. Well, I'm just going to assume that yeah. you you probably went to, to some of Eleven's camps growing up or because you played here locally, you probably, during your prep days, played some time in that stadium. But uh, And I realize we're going back about two years now, but when you first put on the FSU uniform and went out there to take the field as a Seminole, given your heritage and affinity to the Knowles, what was that experience like? Oh, it was incredible. I remember my first opportunity was in fall practice. And, um, I mean, for a lot of the guys, I guess it's not that big of a deal. You know, you're just getting out there long days. And um, you're out there for part five hours, it seems like. But just the first time that I was ever able to step on the mound and pitch, there was no one in the stands, but it felt like it was the biggest outing of my career. And it was it was a lot of adrenaline was flowing. And uh, it was a lot of fun, something I'll never forget. And, I mean, that's, that's when it all started. Tyler, you mentioned that uh, when you go back to your freshman year, you start uh, after uh, the first of the year, you go straight through, then you play summer ball, then a little time back in the fall camp. But but what was the different the mindset this year coming into your sophomore year versus the I don't know anything that's going on my freshman year? How big a difference was that 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 one year span? Um, definitely, is a big difference to me. Um, I don't know if that was just from growing up here, I always wanted to play at Florida State, finally getting the opportunity to put on the uniform and like being super like proud of myself and just feeling like I've finally achieved my goal, you know, playing here at Florida State. And so, um, and it was a big jump from high school. I mean, just competition. And um, it was kind of overwhelming at the beginning of the year. But as the year went on, I was able to find more success and relax and finally play the game. But um, this year, I've set out more goals, to trying to reach them. And, I mean, we have a really good team, and I knew that going in and um, hoping that I would be on the weekend rotation again. And I was just, like, setting out all these goals. And it's been a lot easier to wrap my mind around a schedule being a weekend starter and getting my body in routine compared to last year. Still a little bit of both. Didn't really know if I was going to be like a starter or reliever, I spent some time in the bullpen, even played some outfield. So 
it was a little bit hard to wrap my mind around the schedule, but I mean, I was loving every opportunity I got. But this year has been a little bit easier on the body, being able to know that I'm starting every Saturday and um, workouts and whatnot kind of fall into place after that. Well, that said, things have taken a turn here in the last couple Welcome of weeks. Welcome to the new reality. Because now <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, getting, no, you're, getting, you're getting opportunities at the plate, too, so that's going to disrupt some potential consistency there. Uh, yeah, that, that's been a little different. Unfortunately, we've had some injuries, and, I mean, that's caused some changes to our team. And um, But, I mean, you gotta you got to adapt to it. I mean, that's baseball, it's life, you know. And, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for the opportunity to get to swing the bat a little bit more and um, – I mean, just got just got to keep rolling with the rolling with the punches. You know, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. So, when you came out of Lincoln, because I know I believe you were the center fielder there. I don't know if that was for your full career, but you hit eight home runs. I think as a senior on, on top of pitching. Did you were you recruited to to be a two way player at FSU? Uh, I mean, most of the guys on the team are probably pretty talented. And I'm sure several of them pitched in high school too. But has that been in your mind, or did you really think that you would become just one or the other when you got to the college level? I was hoping to continue being a two-way guy coming out of high school and Florida State. I mean, the coaches, they told me that they would give me the opportunity uh, to, to show my skills in the outfield and, and as well to play. And um, and they know that I have the potential to, to play two-way. And But this year especially, I mean, we had a great, a great lineup and a great um, depth chart with outfielders. And so they were like, you know, we really think that you're going to be a better pitcher if you focus on pitching. And so, and I, and I agreed. And, um, so that's what, that, that was the mindset going into the year. And, uh, but like I was saying, as of late, I mean, things have changed and, um, they're asking me if, if I could swing the bat again. And I was like, heck yeah, you know, so trying, trying new things out, but whatever's going to be best for the team in the long run. I mean, we're trying to make a, a run here in a little bit. So got to do got to do whatever you can well every pitcher is going to be happy to grab a bat uh, especially if you don't have to get a shutout out there to you know to take care of the the batting practice the, the next day but from a batting practice standpoint now, now there's been some injuries uh lately with uh with Daughtry going down and then Red Applin but how how long or what point during this season did you start actually taking batting practice because when you look at your numbers and I know you've uh, you've played a couple of games recently including last night but you're four for 11 officially right now so you've had 11 ABs at this point of the season yeah, I don't know for sure when I started taking batting practice. I know, I mean, it goes back to when I know Jackson Luke. He was he was struggling with some some injuries there and and sickness in the middle part of the year. And I want to say Meat came up to me and was asking me if I can take some fly balls in the outfield. And I was like, heck yeah, you know, I love <laughs> I love running down fly balls and stuff. And then it, that kind of led to hey, maybe jump in the cage and, and grab a bat, you know. And um, and then I can't really remember if that was right before Daughtry had his injury. And um, but once Daughtry had his injury, we didn't really have that many left-handed bats on the bench anymore. And so, me was telling me to you know be ready to go in a game, like worst-case scenario, you know, because like we don't have that many guys off the bench. And so, I started taking BP pretty consistently. I think it was around the Miami series, and then or right before the Miami series. And then, uh, and before you know it, I started getting in there. But the unfortunate injury with Rhett stopped us another outfielder and left-handed bat. So um, that that was my opportunity to step in and have that outfield role. Tyler, uh, for those of us that have been on the outside, and in my case, a long time, uh, watching uh, uh, great expectations, 
injuries resulted in a in a, at least a one loss record that uh, I think disappointing is the word that we would use. You've got two weekend series left, and you're getting ready for the ACC tournament. What's what is the mindset of this club right now? What what's that locker room like? Uh, we're definitely with all the injuries. It seems like people might be doubting us still, but we definitely have confidence in ourselves and in each other. And now that it's summer, there's like a huge weight that's been lifted all off of all of our backs, and we all feel it. And we're all obviously happy and excited that we have more free time. We're all hanging out, you know, and so we're bonding closer together. We're becoming the team that we always wanted to be. And so, I mean, we're excited to get out there on the field. We've had two big wins. I mean, five wins in a row now, I believe. And so, I mean, we're, we're all finally clicking together. And, I mean, we're becoming a team that we wanted to finally be. So we're excited for this last last stretch of teams. we got six great games coming up, and then we got the ACC tournament. So this is the time whenever you need to be playing your best baseball. And, and we're, we're hoping that we're going to be able to keep continuing our success. Side note real quick, for those who didn't watch the game last night, Drew Mendoza hit two home runs, and both of them were absolute bombs. So you're a guy that's out there all the time. Uh, is that just a regular Tuesday for him in batting practice, or were those legitimate bobs from Drew Mendoza? <laughs> those, uh, those are two good swings. Whenever he has good swings, that's what happens. And uh, and that's what we've seen all fall, that the time that he's been able to get in there, he was hurt for most of the fall. And, I mean, in the spring, I don't know what his average was against pitching, but, I mean, he was it seemed like at least one at-bat a day was going over the white pole. <laughs> and uh, so, so we're finally glad to see him clicking. I know he missed a lot of the season. And uh, so his, his at-bats were at, at a minimum compared to everyone else. But now everyone seems like we're getting on the same page and finally things are clicking together. So we'll see what we can do down the road. Let me ask you as, as we wrap up, and we're talking with Tyler Holton, who's the ace of the FSU staff. You know, Drew was a guy, obviously, that, that wanted to come to college because had he made it clear that he wanted to turn pro, he would have been a, a very high draft pick. Uh, yeah. you're, you're an individual who's going to have a decision to make here because you're a draft-eligible sophomore, and I know that's probably about a month away, and you'll have to you know, weigh everything that, that unfolds when it does. But it seems to me that the college experience is pretty important to you, too, especially since you grew up a Florida State fan. So how do you anticipate uh, that, that you will weigh, you know, the pros and cons of coming back? Or have you already decided that you will come back? Or, or how will that unfold, do you think? Um, it, it'll definitely unfold in the next coming months. But, I mean, um, I'm definitely excited to be a four-state Seminole. And, I mean, I want to be a Seminole. I mean, that's, that's the only thing that I see in my future, in the immediate future. And um, But, I mean, that decision is going to come down the road. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm thinking about trying to win went out the rest of the season, won the ACC tournament, and one step on to the other. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not making that decision. I've had a couple of people come up and talk to me about it. But, I mean, that's to me, that's so far away, even though it's only a month away. But um, we've got a lot of games before then and a lot of stuff to do and work on, for sure. But that's not a decision I'm making anytime soon. No, it makes total sense. You can't play the hand you're dealt until you figure out uh, until it's actually dealt, and then and then you go from there. Tyler, it's a, a good conversation. And uh, as as we finish up, so you mentioned some names before. Who was your favorite Noel of that group? You mentioned uh, Tony McQuaid, Mike Futrell. Um, let me think. I remember Mike Futrell was probably the first like big name guy that I used to always love to come to the field to watch. But um, I'd probably say Stephen Drew is 
probably my overall favorite player as four State Seminole because he was number four, and I think that was right around the time when I was playing baseball and we could finally pick a number instead of just having whatever you're sponsored by on, on the back. So we were finally able to pick our numbers. I was like maybe eight years old, and I picked number four because I wanted Steven Drew's number. And that stuck with me all the way up through probably high school for the most part. And um, and then I got 14 when I got here, so I was able to stick stick with one of the numbers. <laughs> and uh, and so that's pretty pretty nice. And, um, but yeah, Steven Drew, I don't know how early he was here, but it was part early 2000s. Yeah, no, that that's exactly right, and that's a pretty good choice. And uh, oh, only, yeah. only time and, and age and maturity will let you appreciate this. But somewhere right now, there's some kids that go to the ball field and watch FSU play, and and they're going to choose your number for their little league team because they like <laughs> watching you play. So, congratulations on the success you've had. Uh, best of luck as as you're at the bat and uh, on the mound, and, and good luck to the Knowles the rest of the way. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, that is uh, Tyler Holton who is uh, six and 6-2 on the bump. He's been the Saturday starter. He's been uh, as consistent as Florida State has had in terms of arms this year, KJ. And uh, the 4 for 11 is not insignificant at the plate. That's 364 in very limited ABs. But as he pointed out, there's not a lot of left-handed options. And it becomes a question of how do you manage the fact that he's your best pitcher? And, uh, for example, last night there was a ball hit between right and center and and I was calling the game, and off the bat it looked like, oh, that's got collision between J.C. Flowers and him written all over it, which Mike which Martin, happens, which happens if you've not been out there much, right, right. Uh, you know, and there that also goes was to a play at first base where it looked like he might have rolled his ankle. I mean, yep. you know, Eleven's thinking about those things, but he doesn't have a lot of options. Well, and it goes back to the between the the, the last two segments, I was asking you to try to make myself not appear to be stupid. Because uh, I just haven't watched as many. Uh, I can't. Games. Fi- I can't fix that in a commercial. Break I understand, here. but I was asking if they were playing him in the outfield or using him as the DH, because I just simply didn't know. And obviously, if you used him at the DH, that would be one way to eliminate those potential issues out in the field. And thank you for pointing out the obvious. Let's just finish up on Tyler Holton here, and then we'll go to break. Um, so if you look at the ACC, two of the best players in the ACC this year are two-way guys. We just saw one of them who's the Sunday starting pitcher for Virginia, and he's their center fielder. He's their three-hole hitter. Hitting You'll see another 400. one in a week and a half or whatever. Louisville's got the guy who's going to win. Uh, he's going to be the first pick in the draft potentially, but he's going to win all the awards, probably the John Olerud Award. If I'm Florida State, and I don't know where Holton's going to go. Holton is not a guy that throws 95 so and and just like we talk about with the NFL draft, the the, the major league scouts are going to look at the measurables. And even if your control has been an issue, if your arm throws ninety six, ninety seven, you're to the top. Yeah. So I don't know where he's going to go. But if I'm FSU uh, and and he's even contemplating moving on, I would certainly point out that the plan for next year would be we're going to find a way to use you both ways and get you in the lineup and let you swing the stick every day and continue to let you pitch on the weekends. If it comes down to that, and maybe it won't, and he loves Florida State, grew up here, so maybe that won't be that much of a decision, but we'll see. And the issue then becomes, and no one knows the actual answer is, will he be better as a pitcher or as an everyday player at the next level? And if you've got a little bit of talent and you're used as a pitcher at the collegiate level, you certainly diminish your opportunity 
to show what you can do as an everyday player. That's an obvious thing, and I, I don't know, but I would believe if I had to make the decision, I would try to do both and, and try to maximize my opportunities. All right, I have some more thoughts, but we need to get to break, and so we'll con- we'll continue this conversation. Will you be show. able to keep them through the break, or will I write down something down for you? Well, you could probably write it down, but I'll be spending the break trying to make you look not stupid. More of the front row after this. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the Front Row, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment just to finish up some thoughts on Tyler Holton. So you asked a question during the break, Keith about how Tyler's eligible as a sophomore. It's it's after your junior year of, of college or if your 21st birthday is within 40 or 45 days of the draft is the answer. And he turns 21, I think, actually right during the draft this year, which is June 12th to 14th. So if you look at his situation, he's got great leverage this year because he can get drafted again after his junior year and after his senior year. So there, there'll be a lot of factors at play. I would suspect that uh, – well, it's just hard to say. You don't know where he's going to be picked. I would think he would probably be back. If he was a guy who threw 95 or 96 and was going to be staring at first-round money, then maybe not. But I don't think that's what it, the way it'll play out. What are the chances of a kid that's in his sophomore year of college doing something that in a year or two that could get him to 96 or 97? I don't know the answer to that. I don't that, either. I, I've never heard it talked about. I, I don't know that it can be done, uh, well, that which question, was back to my comment about getting some everyday play in. Because I just don't know in today's MLB how how effective or how well thought of rather you're going to be throwing ninety two ninety three when there's well that so has, many guys throwing ninety seven to a hundred yeah that has to do with pitchability and command and of all your pitches and that sort of thing you know if you look at it from a job interview perspective if you're able to show that you're not only uh, have good writing skills, but you have good verbal skills too. That's sort of like, well, I can pitch and I can also do this. So maybe there's more to to show in terms of your audition to the pro scouts. And, and they look at you and go, well, you know what? I don't know that he'll ever make it there as a pitcher, but he's got potential if we put him at this position. And I, I don't know enough about it. The question you ask about increasing velocity, that's been asked in regard to what Kevin O'Sullivan has done at Florida because it seems like everybody they bring out of the pen throws 94 or throws higher than what they did in high school. And he's just got a whole plethora of them the, the last point i was going to make about two-way guys and i thought about this when i was calling the virginia series because brian o'connor has had a couple over the years not that mike martin hasn't i mean mike mcgee mm-hmm. won the john olrood award i think it was 2010 and if you go way back there was chris roberts and there's been other guys that have been two two-way guys scooby morgan but it seems like brian o'connor likes it and when you consider that baseball college baseball does not have a full complement of scholarships if you get a guy that can contribute as a pitcher and a hitter I mean, that's a two-for-one deal right there in terms of the way you manage your roster. It just gives you more flexibility, and so Tyler Holton could be the same, although this happens to be a year where Florida State has lost so many guys to injury. Uh, again, it goes back to, you know, what are you comfortable doing and putting him in because uh, he's definitely an outfielder. I mean, he's not somebody you stick at third base or, or you right. know, that type of thing. Uh, I think they're going to – And playing, in, playing 
versus the DH creates some issues too. I mean, it, it, it's just going to require some some creativity. Well, uh, one of the DH issues for Florida State is they have Quincy Neoporti right. as a DH. What Mike Martin said after last night's game is that Tyler would start in right field on Friday night. He would pitch on Saturday, and then they'd just see on they'd Sunday. they see what happens. So, and we've sort of been, and we'll see what happens with Drew Carlton too, based on how the weekend unfolds. But I'm not going to rant on that topic this week. Understood. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, must have big plans tonight because he's blowing up my phone saying, hey, are you going to call? What's the deal? Tim, we're going to call right now here on the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the Front Row and the Earl Bacon Agency hotline has been busy today. We'll uh, patch back through on that hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together as our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld joins us. Tim, how goes it? I'm doing really well, Tom. How are you? Excellent. Saw you yeah. at the game last night. That was compelling baseball last night, wasn't it, Tim? You know, it actually got kind of interesting toward the end, I thought. One with uh, Drew Mendoza's grand slam and trying to piece together the last time we'd seen one hit that hard. And then the last time we'd seen a, a baseball game called early for reasons other than weather. So, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the score notwithstanding, uh, there were a few little nuggets there at the end. But it was, oh, spe- the, it was the McDougal game. It was yeah, exactly. day. Well, speaking of nuggets, the best thing about last night is it was double Chick-fil-A night because they got more than 20 runs. So that's a free plug because they're not on board as a sponsor. But that was never a bad thing. You know, we'll take it. Now, I was wondering when, uh, when when they hit around like 17, you know, midway through the fifth inning or whenever it was, I said, I wonder if they'll get to get double Chick-fil-A if they hit 20. I was just sort of joking. And then sure enough, hey, why not? I'm not going to name names, but I did notice that the media walked out of the stadium to grab the Chick-fil-A coupons before going to the traditions room for the post-game press conference. Man, I, I didn't. I didn't. And that's with a regret of mine. I, I didn't make it down in time. <laughs> you mean they don't come up and pass them out anymore? You have to exit to go get them? No, they, they, they stand at the, uh, the gates. You know? Oh, yeah. they used to come up, well, maybe once. They would come up and pass them out in the, that I've been up there. Before I make an assumption on this, and I don't want to sidetrack us completely, but I have uh, I have expressed my opinion on this previously, Tim. Tim, are you uh, in the camp that perhaps we should look at ways to speed up the college baseball game? Well, yeah. Uh, I would say just speed up baseball in general. Uh, you know, I, I understand that one of the, the, the charm, maybe the biggest charm of baseball is that there's no clock, and it's been that way for, you know, forever. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to a pitch clock. Uh, I think that's a pretty good thing, especially, you know, you saw some of the stuff last night, uh, especially from Jacksonville and, 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 you know, some of the visits they made. And so the some of the, the delay tactics for, for what, I, I still don't know. Um, yeah, but, but to be fair, asking that question after a game like last night uh, is, is tough because, you know, you saw, I don't want to say as bad as it can be because I don't consider it a bad thing, but. Uh, that was a, a, a prime example of, of how a baseball game can take a long time. The midweek game, you get a lot of pitchers going. I think Jacksonville used six pitchers last night, uh, and then Florida State scored a lot of runs. And if you're going to score 21 runs, it's going to take a lot of time. So uh, to answer your question, yes, I do think there's an issue that, that should be addressed, but maybe the issue isn't quite as serious as last night's game would have indicated. Do you think the issue, though, gets – magnified is not the right word, but if, if, if the game had been the same amount of time, 
and Florida State had won three to one, you would have said that was a long game. But because there were twenty, there were twenty three anyway. runs scored. <laughs> I don't think you think of well, it the same way. To me, in terms of the elapsed like time. Yeah, no, it felt like, and I was calling the game, it felt like a long game. Uh, I was happy to see the uh, we're going to end an inning early decision made. We've talked about it before. I don't want to get us completely off the rails here, but there's there's too much of the, yeah, you're talking about the the pitcher stepping off, the hitter calling timeout, the throwing over to first when the guy doesn't really have a lead. Uh, The coaches have to have a discussion with the umpires about every fourth batter about something and managing the lineup. Uh you know, I just think there's some things that could be tweaked. But anyway, that said, if you've listened to the show, you're getting tired of hearing that from me. That said, Tim, was last night false hope or a sign of or the the five game winning streak? Is it false hope based on the competition or a precursor of things to come with Wake rolling into town this weekend? I wouldn't call it false hope, but I also would temper expectations a little bit. Uh, Pacific uh, is not a very good baseball team, and in, in Jacksonville. I think, you know, they, you know what you're going to get out of them. And, and I don't know that Florida State is 19 runs better than Jacksonville most of the time, but they are better than Jacksonville. Uh, so uh, we'll see. I, I do think it's a positive sign to see some of the, the offense uh, doing the things that they're doing. Uh, yeah, I love seeing Drew Mendoza hit the way he's hitting, uh, and, and Dylan Busby uh, seems to be coming around, or I say coming around. He's been really pretty good lately. Uh, so we'll see. They, I, I think we'll know more after this weekend against Wake Forest. Uh, I actually am really curious to see what's going to come of that series. Uh, Wake Forest isn't a team that we associate with with baseball power too much, uh, but they uh, they're playing really well this year. And and power is actually a good word. Uh, they lead the nation in home runs. I believe they've hit 79 home runs this year, which is a lot. And uh, if you're going to hit that many, uh, you're probably going to win some games, and, and they have. Um, but still, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of Wake Forest coming to Tallahassee and and you know, winning two or three or getting a sweep just just seems just saying it sounds you know kind of crazy to me. I haven't been around for a little while, uh, so I'm really interested to see how Florida State responds to that, how Wake Forest uh, responds to coming on the road and, and playing uh, in this type of setting, and hopefully what should be a pretty good uh, crowd. But like anytime you score, I think Florida State scored 48 runs over the course of this five game uh, winning streak, and that's obviously skewed a little bit by scoring 21 last night, but. The, they certainly scored a lot lately, and that's yeah, a better thing than it is bad, right? Well, and that's my takeaway, and particularly in the game of basketball. I guess three-point shooting in in uh, basketball would be the analogy, but in baseball, you you got to get on. A, you got to get some rhythm. You got to get on a roll. You got to get on some confidence, man. You you score forty-eight runs. Uh, I don't care who you were playing or what the pitching was. That's only going to make you feel more comfortable as you're standing in the batter's box, just like if you drained you know, five threes in a row, regardless of whether you're playing Carolina or anyone else, you're going to gain confidence. And, and I think that's the takeaway for this club. Uh, and you kind of heard it a little bit in our conversation with uh, with Holton that, uh, you know, they still believe in themselves. Uh, the the locker room, the clubhouse is still very positive. And, and, I, and, and I think hopefully it is something that's momentum changing as they move forward. Well, you know, we've had this conversation really, I think, throughout the season, but it's the same in that when you look up and down the lineup and in the dugout, it's not like you're scanning for guys and saying, oh, you know, do they have the horses? Do they have the players and the talent necessary to compete at a high level? I think everybody believes that they do. It's not a situation like at Miami where you look at the roster and wonder, gosh, what happened here? Uh, Florida State's got some players you, you just you know wonder if and when everybody's going to put it together and click all at one time uh, and, and you know we've said for gosh a month or two now that if, if they can get it together 
right around this time of year and in, in a couple of weeks from now, I mean, this is a team that could, you know, at least finish the season exactly the way that we thought it could. And to me, seeing the way that they're swinging the bat, and again, it, you, you have to carry that through this weekend and on into next weekend at Louisville, which, by the way, is going to be a pretty big challenge. Uh, but the fact that it seems like everybody's kind of coming together and making things happen, uh, it's a good thing. And one thing I want to bring up, I don't know if you guys talked about this, but I thought was a really interesting quirk, and I think it's a positive thing. Uh, Florida State had 17 hits last night, and all but two of them were singles. Isn't that weird? It is weird. Why is it a positive thing? Well, I don't know. Just to know that you can kind of do that, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's something uh, uh, a great thing necessarily, but it, the fact that you can kind of, I don't know, string together that, that that many hits, you're not just relying on the, the big hit or running into a fastball or something that you can, you know, work the count and get a base hit and kind of go station to station, which they did a lot. I mean, I'm not saying it's anything to, to write home about, but I thought it was kind of interesting, and I, I think it's, uh, you know, a, a positive. I, I will say this. If you averaged those 17 hits together – which includes the two mammoth home runs by Mendoza, they average out to a double because that's how far <laughs> he hit those balls last night. Those were some moonshots. They, they really were. Uh, somebody asked uh, Mike Martin last night uh, if that was J.D. Drew territory, especially the Grand Slam, and he said, you know, I, I can't say that it's not. Uh, and then he also brought up Jeff Ledbetter as well. Uh, you know, as funny as I thought the first one was hit, I mean, he, we all talk about the Grand Slam and rightfully so. Man, he hit the, the first one a ton, too. Uh, and, and the second one even more so, and uh, it was pretty remarkable that if you, if you remember the at-bat, I think the, the pitcher, the Jacksonville pitcher, had thrown two change-ups, uh, and one of them in particular he was way out in front of and, and uh, really had him off balance. I think the count was one and two, and they, they throw him a curveball. Uh, Mendoza said it was a curveball, and, and he's been a while since he's seen one hit that, that hard, uh, and uh, he, it, was, uh, it was fun to watch, um, you know, see, uh, see a guy like that. And, you know, to, to take a big picture again, uh, seeing Drew Mendoza hit the way that he has, uh, I think there's no doubt that he's healthy now, and, and that's kind of what we expected back in February. And so, uh, you know, nothing but good signs. I, I do, like you, you mentioned, the competition and all that. You know, feel free to, to temper your enthusiasm if you want, but, uh, you know, seeing these types of signs is way better than not seeing them. I, I definitely agree with that. All right, let's switch sports real quick. The softball team got a huge win over Florida a week ago and then went and laid an egg at Oregon, who's a very, very good team. So, uh, are the, is the expectation still the same that this is a, a team that should get to Oklahoma City? Uh, you know, I'm kind of checking the box that they're going to win another ACC tournament this weekend because that's what they do. But uh, still a national championship contender in your oh, mind. Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. If you can beat Florida, uh, you're a national championship contender. I don't mean to put too much into that. But, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're absolutely in the mix. I'm sure they're disappointed uh, with that. But there, there were some circumstances involved there. I don't mean to make excuses, but you're coming off uh, what had to be a, an emotional and cathartic victory over Florida, given uh, the, the you know the, the road against those guys over the last several years. Uh, you turn it right around from that, go all the way across the country uh, to Oregon uh, and play you know another nationally ranked team. I think Oregon was ranked number five in the country. Uh, that can be a challenge if, if you're not used to, to traveling across the country. I know they just coming off the of finals, just coming off the right. of finals, exam week, exactly. Right now, you'd, you'd like to think that those things wouldn't be a factor, but the, but the point is, uh, you know, you still have two outstanding pitchers you still have two outstanding hitters uh and, and talented players up you know up and down the lineup uh i think the expectation for them uh is still oklahoma city they'll be home for a regional they'll be home for a super regional uh, if they advance that far uh, they, they have a pretty good road to get to oklahoma city and and you know they don't they don't shy away from those expectations at all like on the first day of practice uh you know they were saying it's it's, it's the national championship year for us uh and i which i think it's kind of cool uh and and so I, I don't think that's changed at all it's still a really good team uh, it's disappointing to lose uh, on the road, and, and certainly to get swept by Oregon. But 
you know, I mean, that's a, that's a quality opponent as well uh, on the road in a, in a different, different venue. Uh, you know, I would, you know, I, I'm willing to chalk that up as an aberration more than anything else, given their body of work. All right. It's a busy time on the sports calendar. We've got ACC track and field this weekend. Uh, women's golf, men's golf, men's and women's tennis, they're all in the postseason. Uh, any stories we should be following out of that group I just mentioned? I keep an eye on that women's golf team. Uh, they're in the, their last day of, uh, of the, the regional NCAA regionals today. They, they look like they're a pretty good bet to make it out and make it up to uh, the, uh, the national competition. Uh, and, you know, that's a team that, that another legitimate national title contender uh, will see. Uh, what happens with them? But you know, given you know where that program was, uh, you know, a few years ago, several years ago, uh, and what Amy Bond, who's a Florida State alum by the way, has been able to do to turn them around and uh, and make them really one of the elite programs in college golf in fairly short order, uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and you know, they absolutely have a chance to win a national title, and that'd be pretty neat to see as well. So that's going on now, and we'll continue next week. Tim, great job as always, sir. You got it, Tom. Thank you very much. See you, Timmy. Our Seminoles dot com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Uh We will. Uh, Wrap up after this that we do. You got anything? Usually at this point, you're chomping at the bit to get something in. Nothing? You got nothing right now. I didn't want it. I can either be quiet and people won't think I'm an idiot or open my mouth. And verify the fact that, yeah. According to you. The front row continues after this. We don't need no education. We don't need no the front row is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener two locations to choose from 1110 stuckey avenue and 3269 crawfordville highway call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Back on the front row, we've got a few minutes to go. KJ, uh, was this a, a was this one of our top caliber shows? It was just right middle of the pack. I mean, what's your I'd, general? I'd say middle of the pack. We we've got to we got to get the energy back. Gotta I get feel, the energy I back. feel like my energy's been lacking today. But, but Tim and, and Tyler brought their A game. They did. They did. It was that was a good interview with Tyler Holton. If you, if you tuned in late, uh, go back and listen to that. Uh, you can catch the front row on demand after every week's show by going to ESPNTallahassee.com. You can find it uh, in the drop-down menu under the Audio Vault. Uh, you could download the WTSM app, which I recommend, and, and find it uh, archived there. Or subscribe to the podcast. Go ahead and rate us on iTunes. Uh, if you're going to say really bad things, you can just, when you see us, just tell us directly face to face that's all we awesome. like them better that way yeah exactly right all right uh i'm not sure what loose ends we need to clear up we talked about the the red shirt rule i still haven't come up with what a, a downside to that would be I, I don't think there is one now smarter people than us need to look at it but again i don't think anything obviously nothing will happen in 2017 but it, it will, will prove useful i think when 2018 shows up acc meetings are next week in amelia island so that'll be Monday to Thursday, which means there'll be some news coming out. Hey, how about the uh, the news from Hulu that for thirty nine ninety five you can get live all the networks and all the ESPN channels, which I'm assuming I don't have Hulu would include the SEC network and potentially the ACC network when it gets launched for a third of what I'm paying for my cable satellite bill right now. Yeah, exactly right. Well, that 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 is the conundrum that we're in. Is we don't know where that's going to land, but we do know something. Know something's coming. There'll be talk about the ACC network next week. Now, I don't expect there to be news. No, 
Uh, Commissioner Swafford, if you saw the memo that got leaked uh, last week that said everything's hunky-dory and proceeding is scheduled. Uh, by the way, when I say it got leaked, I'm pretty sure it got leaked because Swafford doesn't want stuff out. That's almost like he called David Glenn in North Carolina and said, hey, what number do I send yes, this to? Just go ahead and put this out there because anything <laughs> else from the ACC that they haven't wanted out has not gotten out. No, in terms of other things that will come up um, – one thing I think will come out of next week is I think we'll have kickoff times for the first three weeks of the season. If it's not next week, it'll be shortly, shortly thereafter because they'll set the first three weeks and they do that with their TV partners. So I think we'll know, for example, or we'll confirm that FSU-Miami will be a night game. Um, I'm trying to think of what else might be on the docket that, that's big. It, it doesn't feel like there's as pressing news as there has been of late when everybody's beating down that door going, is there going to be an ACC network? The other thing to echo that, and we don't have any time to discuss it, we'll move it to another show. But... Finally, the Disney CEO came out and was talking about ESPN and talking about how uh, the the cord cutting had affected. Then there was another article that came out that you actually sent to me that I thought was interesting proportionally from a percentage standpoint. There have been more people that have lost the SEC network than have lost the ESPN family of channels. There are more people vacating the SEC network than are vacating the ESPN family, according to that report. Well, that's one of the interesting things when everybody predicts doom and gloom for ESPN. Every time a cord gets cut and you lose ESPN, you also lose FS1 and the others or, or whatever other networks it is. And ESPN's got more subscribers to lose. So if everybody's losing the same amount, guess who's still got the most subscribers? Exactly. All right. Hey, if you've got a do-it-yourself project, I'll remind you one last time that needs to be finished. Go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Faster to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from. That's 1110 Stuckey Ave and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. So we'll see. Next week at this time, there may be some news from those ACC meetings. Uh, and that's all I got. Well, we need to we need to uh, get our antenna out and get our our horns out and see if we can't sneak any information out of those meetings. Well, maybe Ron can help us with that project. Not this one, the one at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. He could do some phenomenal things. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We're done. Thanks for tuning in. We'll do it again next week. So long, everybody. 